Today's shir is being dedicated Zeich Nishmas, Rav Chaim Aaron Waxlak, Zeich Tzadik Levracha. He was uh, my personal uh, rob growing up as a child until uh, until today, pretty much. And uh, we just got word this morning that he was nifter after a very uh, after a very uh, brief illness. Um, and uh, the loss is very great, and he uh, was a, a wonderful man and a great rav and a Talmud Chacham and a Meruderech. And uh, we're going to go out to the Labaya soon after, uh, after the Shmuz in Long Beach. But um, his, uh, his memory should be a, a bracha for, uh, for his beautiful mishpacha and for all of his uh, congregants and for all the people that he touched. And this week's parasha is parasha's mishpatim, and the parsha begins, the Elam Mishpatim Asher Tasim Lufneim. These are the Mishpatim that you shall place before them. And Rashi says, Lama Nismucha Parshas Dinim Leparshas Mizbeach. Why is it that the parsha of Dinim, that the parsha of Mishpatim, is placed immediately after the end of last week's parsha, which discusses the Inyanim? of the Mizbeach and the steps, or the lack of steps going up to the Mizbeach, there has to be a ramp, the Mailas al Mizbechi, you shouldn't walk upstairs in order to get up to the top of the Mizbeach. What's the correlation between the two? Why is there the Smichas HaParshias? And Rashi says, Laimer Lecha Shetasim Sanhedrin Mikdash. It's to teach you that the Sanhedrin which is the seat of mishpat in the world, should be placed geographically right next to the makim hamikdash. In other words, if you would see the uh, the beis hamikdash, the beis hamikdash had right next to the kodesh hakadoshim there was an area called the lishkas hagazis, and in that lishka, in that chamber, that is where the Sanhedrin sat and deliberated and decided upon all of the major halachas of Klal Yisrael. And it's a strange place to put a, a body of uh, a governing body. After all, the Beis HaMikdash is a place of holiness. It's a place of Avedis Hashem, of the Shekhinah. You should probably find a, a different place in your Shalayim to make the Supreme Court. Why do you put the Supreme Court right in the middle of the Temple Mount? And the answer is because there's a connection between them. We see that the Mizbeach and Elam Mishpatim are put side by side. There's a smichas haparshias between Elam Mishpatim to the Mizbeach. The Mizbeach, which is the, the Makim HaMikdash, the Makim HaAveda, is inseparable with halacha, with mishpat. And the understanding is that our mishpat is not like regular non-Jewish mishpat. There's not necessarily a sanctity to other nations' jurisprudence, other nations' body of laws. There are governing bodies of laws that that emanated from different ancient understandings, different ancient uh, customs, cultures. There was uh, Ottoman law, and then there was uh, British law, 
And many of that trickled down to American law and to uh, the Western civilization law. But there's no holiness intrinsic in that. It's basically either logical or it's something that society accepted as being a norm. And things could change. Things come, things go. And what one day might be illegal today is not. Today is legal. You see this with uh, alcohol in the early, uh, you know, early days of America. Alcohol uh, was strictly forbidden, and they had the. Uh, um, and then, and then finally, it was now it's it's mutter to sell alcohol. We find it with drugs. It used to be very, uh, very illegal marijuana. Now many states are are allowing marijuana, either for medicinal use or for or for leisure use. What changed? Nothing changed. It's just society changed. Societies, the, the, the way that a society perceives things changes. So it changes. No, there's no kedusha. There's no hachra. There's no there's no there's no it's just basically whatever is society's acceptance is, is, is accepted as law and we could go through many many examples of this but it's unnecessary we know that the regular law has no Kedusha Kalal Yisrael's laws the day to day laws that govern our society that govern what we do every day from the moment we wake up in the morning till the moment we go to sleep, that govern our Shabbos, our Yantif, the days of Simcha and the days of Tsaris, the days of Tainus and the days of, uh, of Yam Nairaim, the laws of Sharsh Nagachasapara, the laws of Eved Ivri, the laws of Eviknani, everything is all dictated by law and this law is not in any way divorced from Kedusha. Every law is Kedusha. And being that it's Kedusha, its place, its rightful place is in the Makam HaMikdash. It's in, it's in the temple, within, at the holiest piece of real estate in the world. That's where we put our Sanhedrin. That's where we put our legislative body. Because the legislative body of Klal Yisrael, or rather the judicial body of Klal Yisrael, is really directly impacted by the Kedush HaKadoshim, by the Shechina, by the Kruvim, by the Luchais. Everything has a direct impact on our law, on our system of judicial law and, and practice. And that's the reason why the, the HaKadosh Baruch in his infinite wisdom put the parasha of the Mizbeach right next to the parasha of the Mishpatim as if to say, you can't separate the two. They are, they are bound forever as one. Our laws our, are our holiness. Our holiness is our law. And they go hand in hand. I wanted to suggest perhaps another reason why we put the parsha of the Mizbeach next to the parsha of the Mishpatim. If you look in the parsha of the Mizbeach, in last week's parsha, Rashi gives an understanding of this halacha about not going up steps to get to the Mizbeach. You have to go up a ramp, but you cannot climb on steps to get up when the Kayin needs, needs to go to the top of the Mizbeach to do his Aveda. He has to walk up a ramp and not on top of stairs. And the reason Rashi brings is as follows. 
Rashi says that it's in order to be sensitive to the Mizbeach. Because if the Mizbeach would have to be exposed to the, to the anatomy of the Kayin as he's climbing those stairs, that would be a bizayin for the Mizbeach. And so, because we're so chas, we're so, we have such sensitivity and compassion for the Mizbeach, so that's why there is this halacha by the Mizbeach, you can't go up steps, you have to climb, take sm- small steps on a ramp, and that way the Mizbeach will not be exposed to any bizayin. And Chazal continue that if that's true for Avonim, if it's true for stones which are inanimate, you have to be sensitive to a human being. If I have to be sensitive to the feelings of a, of a non-feeling being, a non-feeling thing, which is a stone of a Mizbeach, how much more so I have to be compassionate and, and, and worried and caring about another human being who actually has a heart and a mind and nerves and, 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 and a, a pulse and feelings, emotions. I have to be so much more careful with them. That's the limit of the Mizbeach. Sort of reminds me, as I'm saying it, of the, uh, the story with, that's told about Rabbi Sol Salanter. Rabbi Sol Salanter was once invited on, as he was making one of his famous travels throughout Europe, he was invited to a family for Shabbos, and he didn't really know these people, but they invited him, and he accepted, and by the Friday night table, there was, the, the husband was sitting at the, at the head of the table, and every soul was sitting next to him, and then the family was sitting around the table, and the husband was singing Shalom Aleichem. In the middle of Shalom Aleichem, he stops, and he notices that the chalas on the table were uncovered. The wife forgot to put a challah cover on top of the challah. She made a beautiful table, everything was perfect, but she forgot to put a challah cover over the, over the challahs. So this person who was quite insensitive, he yells out to his wife, who was Nebuch busy in the kitchen preparing the gefilte fish or whatever it was, hey, you forgot to cover the challahs. And the wife got very embarrassed and she quickly ran in with a challah cover and uh, you know, covered it up. And Rishol Salanter was the, the master of Musa, the master of sensitivity in the world. He couldn't, he couldn't tolerate what he had just seen. The embarrassment that he caused his wife, Barabim, a wife who had just prepared so much and put so much into the shopping and the preparation, the cooking, the cleaning for Shabbos, and that's all she gets is a, and not just a thank you, but a, a bizayin to be mevazahar. So Rishol Salanter says to him, do you know why we cover the chalas? Any idea why, where this minute came from that we cover the chalas on, on, on Shabbos, on Friday night, on Shabbos day? He says, of course. He says, because we make Kiddush, and we make Kiddush, we could be making Kiddush on chalas, but we make Kiddush on wine, when we have wine. And so, if, you, if, the, if the chalas would have to see the wine in its moment of glory, that you're making Kiddush on a cup of wine instead of it, so it would get embarrassed. It would be embarrassed because 
it's not the one that has the limelight on it. It's not in the spotlight. You're putting the spotlight on the wine instead of it. So in order so as not to cause the chalas embarrassment, so we cover them. You make kiddush on wine, and after you make kiddush on wine, you drink the wine. Now you can uncover the chalas to make hamaytzi on the chalas. And Rabbi Yisrael didn't even have to continue because he already realized his husband by saying that how preposterous it was what he just did. Because he had just embarrassed a human being. Why? So that the chalas, which are inanimate objects, nobody says that a chala actually has eyes and ears and a heart. What it means exactly, the busha of the chala, we don't know, but it basically means it's, it's telling you a lesson. It's teaching you, by example, you have to worry about a chala, a clump of dough, that its feelings, quote-unquote, should not be heard. Allah has come, but come, you have to be concerned with the human being's feelings. And so here he was so busy with his frumkite, worrying about the challah being covered, that he forgot the whole reason why you're covering the challah and what lesson you should take from that. And therefore he goes and he embarrasses his wife who has feelings. He wasn't worried about her bizayin, but he's worried about the challah's bizayin. And that's what we're supposed to take. That's what Chazal say that we're supposed to take from the Mizbeach. If you have to worry about climbing the steps so that the Mizbeach, who doesn't have eyes, isn't going to blush if it sees the, the private parts of the Kayin, but yet we have to concern ourselves that the Mizbeach should not be in a state of Bizayin, we learn from the Mizbeach the sensitivity that we must have when dealing with people that actually are alive, people that are animate, people that are living, breathing, sensitive beings, that really is something that we should take from the death. That's the limit of the Mizbeach. Now, the next parasha, we fast forward, not fast forward, it's, we, we take one small step. That lesson of the Mizbeach that we just learned together, that lesson of sensitivity, is what you take with you into Parshas Mishpatim. Because if you look at the parsha of Mishpatim carefully, it seems as, a, as if it's a very long parsha with a ton of Rashis, a ton of Halachas. As somebody said this week, you can go through, it's basically you know, half of Shas this, this week's parsha. You have the Sugis of Eved Ivri, you have the Sugis of Eknani, you have the Sugis of, uh, of Mazik, of Nizik. Of Shaimrim, everything is in this week's parasha, basically, right? You have so much going on here. And you think it's, oh my gosh, now all the fun and games of Rashis and Shemais are over. We don't have Avram Mitzvah and Yaakov anymore to speak about. We don't have any, any lessons to take from, from Yasef and the Shvatim. We don't have all the lessons of, 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 of Yitzhak Mitzrayim and Kriyas Yamsev and Matan Torah. We don't have that. Now we're, we have to roll up our sleeves and get busy with with halacha, and that's true. But don't think for a second that within the lines of halacha, between the lines of every halacha, there's not a lot of musr to be taken. There's not a lot of sensitivity to be gleaned from these parashiyas, from this mishpatim. Elam mishpatim is directly associated with the mizbeach. The lesson of the mizbeach to be sensitive to others is inherent and is evident and is apparent to everyone that looks carefully at these psukim, at these, at these limudim from this parsha. We're going to give a few examples, but we could spend days on these. But just to give you one example, 
There's a hal- or two examples, but it's basically from the same Yisait. There's a halacha about Ebed Ivri. Ebed Ivri is a very big sugya in Kedushin and other Mesechtas. How did a person become an Ebed Ivri? How do you take a nice Jewish boy and turn him into an Ebed Ivri? How did that happen? So one way that it could happen is that he steals money and he can't afford to repay the money. So it's the Nimka Bignevasa. You have to sell this Jewish boy, Jewish man, in order to get paid so that the person that he stole from will be repaid. The Nimka Bignevasa. So basically, an Evid Ivri in this case is a Ganif. It's a Ganif. Plain and simple. Now, what does society say about a ganav? A ganav is the worst. A ganav is, uh, if you find somebody in yeshiva that's, uh, that, that, that's chas v'shalom stealing from somebody, and that, you know, that, that you find them uh, taking, something else, taking somebody else's property, unforgivable, we kick him out of yeshiva. He will be, uh, I've heard stories about ganavim and other yeshivas, they basically wrap him in a towel, they throw him down a flight of steps. That, not, not recently, but like in the olden days. <laughs> A ganav is like a unforgivable. He's a, like a like a terrible person. It's a terrible thing to be a ganav. I remember once I was in I was in Eretz Yisrael for Sukkot, and I went to the mikvah in Erev Sukkot in Yerushalayim, and I, you know, obviously I got undressed. I came back to my to, to my clothing in the mikvah, and my wallet was gone. I was so upset. It, it stared my whole yantav came up. Everything was in that wallet. I had all my credit cards, checks. I had to stop all my payments. I had a lot of shkalim in there, and I had my driver's license and my, my credit card. This ganav took my stuff, and he doesn't, you know, he just took, he probably threw it in the garbage and took out the shkalim, and that's it. But, but for me, it stared everything. You can't, you, a ganav is the worst. There's nothing lower. Doesn't care. You come into my thing and you take my stuff. A person's house gets broken into. A person's car gets broken. What right do you have to go into my car, to go into my house, to go into my office and steal things from me? It's disgusting. It's a disgusting thing, and it is. I read once that in Saudi Arabia and Iran and the, in the Arab countries, you know what they do with the Ghanif? They basically take a ganif. They have a special machine. They probably have a patent on it. It's called a finger amputation machine. You're a ganif. You get kuapiknevasai. They take the guy's hand. They put it into the machine. Chop. The guy has no hands. No, no fingers. That's the that's the that's the einish for a ganif. You know what the crime rate in Saudi Arabia and Iran probably is for ganavim? Probably very very little. I would say next to zero. In America, you steal something, they, they throw you into jail, you get a free gym, you know, membership to the, to the local gym in the jail, you learn dafyami, great dafyami shirim going on, you get kosher meals, you get, uh, you know, vending machines, you have uh, reading galore, you have, uh, basically, it's a, it's a country club. No rent, it's kishmat. In Saudi Arabia, that's why we have a lot of Ganevis in this country. There's no, there's no, no law, so I'll, if I if I cop the Geneva, I don't get caught great. If I get caught, it's even greater. So what what's the, you know marash? What's the big deal? But a ganav is a ganav. A ganav, by all 
accounts, from a human perspective, a ganav is an unforgivable thing. It's disgusting. A person steals money. And, and so a ganav is really a, a, as low a, a, an individual as you can get. Not saying there aren't worse crimes, but in a, just in a, on a human level, maybe you have to be the, the subject of a ganeva in order to really get into it. But if, you were ever stole, if anything was ever stolen from you of value, you have a, a loathing for ganavim. And I imagine the Rabbi Nishlam understands that loathing that we have. But now let's look at what the Torah's perspective on a ganav is. Now, obviously a ganav, by all accounts, is a very bad thing. But this ganav, who stole money, or stole something, and he couldn't repay it, he gets sold as an Evid. Now he's an Evid every in my house. Now, how do you treat the Ganev when he comes into your house? You'd probably throw him in a dungeon somewhere, take out your whip, make him do really menial labor, and for six years he's got to be like completely indentured, completely uh, ice mensch, not a human being, and you really like, you know, go, go to town on him, make him like suffer for the Ganeva that he stole. But yet the Torah doesn't do that. The Torah is so sensitive to the Bizayan of a Ganav. What does the halacha say about what to do with the Ganav, what to do with the Ebed Ivri? Look at the Rambam in Hilchas Avadim, Perak Vav Halacha Tess. He says as follows, Call Ebed Ivri Amma Ivriya, any Ebed Ivri, any Amma Ivriya, Chayev Ha'adon, Ha'adon, the master has to make the servant equal to him. Special Gezeris HaKasa, when it comes to Yavadivri, you have to treat him as well as you're treating yourself. You have a steak tonight for dinner, you can't give him tam-tam crackers and water. You have to give him a steak like you have. The same exact steak that you're making for yourself, you've got to make two of them, give him one. You're having uh, some Woodford with it on the side, you've got to give him a cup of Woodford. You, have, uh, you, you, you're, you bought yourself some nice new uh, mattresses, get an extra mattress because you've got to give him the same mattress that you have, the same comforters, the same pillowcases. You, you bought yourself a new cell phone, a new smartphone, an iPhone, get him one also. Whatever you did for yourself, you've got to do, to do for him. It has to be, you're together. He's not lower than you. He's not mevuzah, he's not disgraced. You have to make him feel like a man. In other words, you have to rehabilitate him. The Torah wants you not to look at him like a Ghana, brand him as a Ghana forever, and, 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 and make sure that he never forgets what he did wrong. The opposite. The point of making a person evidivory is not in order to demean him, to disgrace him, to demote, to, to demote him. The point of making an evidivory is there's obviously something wrong. HaKadosh Baruch understands with this guy. He obviously didn't have something and he needs something that's lacking and that's what caused him to do this act of Geneva. Probably if he lived in, if he grew up in a normal home, and he had some creature comforts, he had people to take care of him, and he had, he had the right environment, he probably would not go and steal something. He didn't have the right chinuch, he didn't have the right upbringing, he didn't have the right 
environment around him. He didn't have the right rabbeim. He didn't have the right role models to teach him right from wrong. He's lacking something. The Torah says, take him in your house. He's your Eved Ivri, but he's not your Eved. He's your Adon. Chazal say, you just bought yourself a master. You didn't buy yourself a slave. We don't believe in slaves. A lot of people want to know always this question. We know morally that slavehood is, is a terrible thing. Uh, you know, when, when we're still so proud of Abraham Lincoln, Emancipation Proclamation, the abolitionists, they, they wanted to abolish slavery. It was a, and that's a, that was a very big thing. It's a huge thing in American history that we went from a slave nation to being a nation of uh, that we we didn't we abolished slavery. That's a very big thing. It's still today. It's it's huge. But the Torah allows slaves. Isn't that always a question that we hear? The Torah, the whole parsha, Ebedivri, Ebeknani, Amavria, Shevchaknainis, Shevcharufa. So many parshas in the Torah about slavery. Half of Half of Shas might be talking about slaves, and yet, so what are, is slavery good or is it not good? What are we doing? And I would like to submit to you that the slavery that the world thinks is slavery is not the slavery that Claudius all thinks is slavery. We don't have a definition of slavery like they do. They, slaves by, by, in the world means, I own you. And I completely subjugate you under my lordship. And I tell you what to do. And I'm cruel and mean and do whatever I want and, and tell you to do anything. And you have to do it for me because I own you. Claudius doesn't believe in that. That's not the Torah's definition of slavery. The Torah's definition of slavery is that I am trying to raise you. I'm trying to develop you. I'm trying to rehabilitate you. I'm trying to make your world a better world. That's what slavery is. It's a, it's a misnomer. Slavery is that borrowed term slavery has such negative connotations. But when it comes to Klal Yisrael, we don't look at slavery as a, a slave to me. You're, you're my master. I'm your slave almost. I have to take care of you. I have to rehabilitate you. I have to make it nice for you. Whatever I'm taking for myself, I take for you. You know what? If I have one steak, you know who gets the steak? He gets it. I don't get it. Why? Because the point is we're going to try to, over the next six years of your life, make you feel whole again, bring you back to reality, bring you back to society's good graces to make sure that you feel like a mensch because you're staying by me now, you're going to be my guest, and I'm going to teach you right from wrong. You're going to see a family life. You're going to see how how things should be, and hopefully by the end of this process you will be fully back to who you really should have always been. And this is an example of how the Torah takes the Mizbeach, takes that lesson of sensitivity, and bakes it into the mishpatim. Our Torah takes a ganav, the most unforgivable personality, and we rehabilitate him. We have sensitivity even for the ganav. I'll give you another example of this. There's a parsha in this parsha 
of Dalad Vehei. If you steal a shar or a seh, utvacha or machara, you either shecht it or you sell it, you have to pay four or five times the amount. Based on what? Whether you stole a shar or you stole a seh. If you stole a shar, you have to pay how much? Arba, you have to pay, uh, for a shar, you have to pay uh, five, and for a seh, you have to pay only four. What's the pshat? The pshat is like this, that the tire had rachmanis on you, so that when you're schlepping a shar, you're pulling a shar, you have, uh, you have covered from it. It's not, not a bad thing. You're just taking the guy's shar out of your property. So for that, you have to only pay, that, that you have to pay full. They have to pay five. When it comes to a seh, you only have to pay four. You know why? Because a seh, you don't take it with a, like, bakavadik. You don't take it in a nice way, like pulling it out like a mensch. How do you get a seh out of somebody else's property? You've got to put it on your back. You've got to schlep it, and the seh is kicking you and screaming and whatever, and you're, you're running out with it. It's embarrassing. So there you only have to pay four. Frechter Biruchem Akasha. the great Mashkiach of the Mir, he says, I don't understand. This makes no sense to me. I'm sorry. I, I don't get it. He says, let's say, uh, you know, the famous, uh, the famous, I don't know if it's a joke, but, the, you know, the definition of chutzpah is when a, a guy kills his mother and his father and he goes before the judge and he pleads for, for, for clemency or for some uh, pity on behalf from the court, because he's an orphan. Now, you have to give me a, a lower sentence. I'm an orphan. What do you mean an orphan? You killed your parents for crying out loud. <laughs> so he says, I don't understand. This guy, imagine if I, I would tell you that a guy has a ganav, he broke into somebody's house, he climbed up a ladder and he stole, he broke into the bedroom, he took all of the wife's jewelry and all the husband's svarim, and he comes down, and he, now he, uh, you know, he gets caught, and he's pleading before the judge, you have to give me some, a little bit of compassion. Why? You know how heavy that ladder was that I was carrying? Now, come on, give me, a, come me, come me some slack. I, I was carrying that ladder. That ladder must have weighed 50 pounds. It was hard for me. It was like a windy day, and the, and the, and the wind kept on pushing this ladder from one side to the other. And then when I broke into the house, and I, was, I had to schlep the ladder and the, and all, the bag of stuff that I stole from the, come on, it's not fair. Can't give me a long sentence because it was, it was embarrassing for me to have to carry that ladder through the streets. Would you say that that's a normal taina? Would a judge? Would any judge in the world forget about in you know in, in, in Eastern Europe? What about in Western Europe? In Western civilization, would any judge in the world accept that? That's the re- that's the most ridiculous thing in the world. But yet the Torah is doing exactly that, says Rabbi Rucham. The Torah is saying that we have to have compassion on a ganav because. Nebuch, he had to be embarrassed when he was stealing a sheep from somebody. He had to bring the sheep on his shoulders and the sheep was like kicking him a little bit here. Who asked you to steal the sheep? Don't steal sheep. You steal a sheep, that might happen to you. But yet the Torah does it. It sounds like chelm. It sounds, forgive me for saying it. It sounds like it's not, you know, it doesn't sound like it makes logical sense. You know why? It doesn't have to. The Torah is not dictated by our logic. Mishpatim is dictated by the Mizbeach. The Mizbeach teaches us 
ultimate sensitivity, even when it's beyond the human capacity to understand that sensitivity, that's where the Tyre is coming from. The Tyre is taking a ganif, a lowlife, a creep, pardon the expression, a person that goes and, and breaks into somebody else's house, steals his stuff, unforgivable, but yet the Tyre, between the lines, you see, if you have eyes that are observant, you see the the compassion of the Torah oozing out of every pore, every kutzah shaliyot of this parasha, compassion on the ganav. To us it makes no sense. A ganav, hang him on the gallows, get rid of him, and there's, there's not, nothing to do with a ganav. The Torah sees every neshama as redeemable, as valuable, as forgivable. Every neshama. So you take the worst person, the worst criminal, you might think of him as, a, as, as, as off with the head. The terrorist says, no. The terrorist says, I care about him. He suffered a little busha. We give him off for that. Ashar, five. Seth, four. Yeah, he, had to, he, he was embarrassed. I care about the sensitivity of a ganav. It's not just the sensitivity of the Avne Mizbeach that you care about. It's not just the sensitivity of some inanimate chalice that you care about, but if it's a human being, you don't care about him. I said in Abad this week, the Beis HaLevi, an unbelievable Beis HaLevi, the Beis HaLevi says, speaking about these parashiyas, speaking about how you have to treat an ani who comes to your door, he says, you know what, how you have to treat an ani that comes to your door? Almost as good as you treat your esrig. What does that mean? Ever see people looking for an esrog before, before sukkahs? They go, they go to a hundred different seichrim, every single store, every single store inside, every single place on Main Street, every single table outside, inside, a guy's private basement, a guy's roof, wherever it is that they're selling esrog, I'm going, I have my little loop, my diamond loop, and I'm looking in the sun for any speck of, of, of taintedness on this, on this fruit. And then I buy it, $180, $250, I buy this esrig. And I put it in like a beautiful, today they don't have it anymore. When I was a kid, they have what was called a shetel. They basically took, it was like strips of linen, and you basically wrapped it up like beautifully in, in, in the, the esrig, so it's perfect. And then a lot of people have silver esrig cases for it, and they put it in there, and then like it comes the first morning of Sukkot, and you take it, you bring it to shul, and you bring it out, you're, you're showing it off to all your friends. It's perfect. You, mamish, you own that mitzvah. The mitzvah is unbelievable. You have it, it's yours. And you show off your friends, you know, look at the pitam, and look at the, the, the giddel on this esrog, and look, it's perfect. Everything is symmetrical, everything is yellow, green, orange, whatever you want it to be, it's perfect. But an honey comes to your door, what happens there? Get out of here. Get a job. What are you bothering me for? It's supper time. Says the Beis HaLevi, they're both chefs of the mitzvahs. You're, when the Ani's at your door, he's your esrig at that moment in time. Treat him like an esrig. An esrig is a fruit. At the end of the day, it's a beautiful fruit. It's a mitzvah fruit, but it's a fruit. Somebody, Tuba Shvat, sent me over a, a pureed esrig. 
It's a fruit. You eat it. It's a mitzvah. It's a beautiful mitzvah. It's a chashem mitzvah, but it's a fruit. At the end of the day, it's a fruit. You're sensitive to it. That's a beautiful thing, but take that same sensitivity and use it on human beings who are also a mitzvah, but for some reason we don't look at them like my esrei because maybe I can't show, I can't schlep my ani to, you know, to the base parish and show him around, so I just basically can get away with murder, so I just send him on his way. But to the Rebbein Shalom, he wants, the Rebbein Shalom wants you to take that ani, clean him up, make sure that he doesn't have any bletas on him, any spots on him, He's not embarrassed. Put a, a, a proverbial shaitel around him. Put him in an esrog box, a silver box. Make him feel good. Even if you don't have the money, forget the money. A lot of people don't have money, but you all have a mouth. You have a heart. You can give him a, a drink. You can ask him how he's doing. You can say... You have a great organization. I thank you for giving. Thank you for coming, and giving me the opportunity. Make him feel good about himself. He's your esrig. Be sensitive. The mizbeach teaches us this. The mizbeach teaches us sensitivity to inanimate things. And by extension, Parshas Mishpatim teaches us that we should be sensitive not just to inanimate things, which are easy to be sensitive to, but human beings. Human beings are much harder to be sensitive to than inanimate. Inanimate beings, I, I, I'm very good with. I, I'm great. I'm great with inanimate objects. Everyone's great with inanimate objects. I love, I love stuff. You know, I love food. I love, uh, you know, I love my, uh, my, my, my technology. I love my, my house. I love my car. It's so good to be sensitive to those things. But when it comes to human beings, I, I don't deal well with human beings. Somebody once came to the stipler and asked the stipler what he should look for in terms of a shidduch for his daughter. So the stipler said that you should look for uh, a few things. The first thing you should look for is a mensch. That's the main thing. So this person was surprised that the stipler would say because the stipler was the masmid, the tamachai. He thought he'd say, you know, find the lamdan. Find a brisker boy, a boy that went to brisk, that's a spitz lamden and whatever. That's what you need for a shut up for your daughter. He didn't say, he didn't mention, that wasn't even on the list. He said, I'm surprised that you're saying that. Wouldn't you tell me to, to marry a, a Talmud Chacham? And if he's a Talmud Chacham, presumably he's a man. He says, no, that's not true. He says, think about what a bachar is. What's the yeshiva bachar? Yeshiva bachar is... A boy that learns by a shtender. You take a wooden shtender. Here we, we learn by tables, but in many yeshivas in Lakewood and Eretz Yisrael and the mirror, a lot of most yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael learn by shtenders. Big business. If you want to go into a good business in Eretz Yisrael, you go into the shtender building business because it's, uh, everyone uses shtenders in Eretz Yisrael. So what does a bacher do? You sit by a shtender. He says, and it's a beautiful relationship, you and your shtender. A shtender never complains a shtender never is sick. You have to take it to the doctor and think about the copay and think about the time that you're going to be spending in the waiting room with it. A shtender never has uh, ups and downs, never one day happy, one day sad. A shtender doesn't need so much to eat. You don't have to feed it. You don't have to buy it dresses. 
Then there's a, actually, actually the most perfect thing in the world. It'd be, it's a beautiful shidduch between man and a shtender. So now it's time for this bacher to get married. And now he thinks that his wife is going to be like his shtender. He's trading in one kala for another kala. One, this kala has, has you know, two wooden legs and this one has two human legs. But it's a, you know, it's a good, it's a, it's a good trade-off, I guess. And all of a sudden he has this wife and she's not feeling well and she wants to go out for a rest, to a restaurant for supper and she has to, uh, you know, she's not always in a great mood and she's not in the mood to cook tonight so you have to cook. She doesn't want to take out the garbage, you have to take out the garbage. She doesn't want to set the table, clear the table, wash the dishes, dry the dishes. And like this bacha is going to be like, what in the world is going on here? What, what happened to my shtender? And so he says, the most important thing you should look for in a shidduch for your daughter is a mensch. A tamachachim is great, but don't think that because the tamachachim is automatically, he's a mensch, because it's not true. All he's used to dealing with is a shtender. And beyond the shtender, inanimate things we're great with. Inanimate objects are, are beautiful to deal with. They don't have a mouth, they don't talk back, they don't complain, they don't worry, they don't make you crazy. But human beings can. And the trick is to make that leap from the Mizbeach of last week's parasha to where we learn about the sensitivity to an inanimate object and apply it in Elam Mishpatim to a Ganav. Not to a nice Ani, not to a wife, not to a child, not to, to an, a Ganav. And the Torah tells you, be sensitive even to him. If you can learn to be sensitive to a Ganav, you can learn to be sensitive to anyone. Because a Ganav is somebody that you really don't think deserves your sensitivity. To the opposite. And yet you see the Chukas HaTayra, the Mishpatei HaTayra. Mishpatei Hashem Sadku Yachtov. Mishpatei Hashem Emes Sadku Yachtov. Rabbi Yeruchim brings that pasuk. He says the Mishpat of Hashem is Emes. It's Sadku. It's Tzedek. It's not like the laws of the nations that are just mishpat. This is what you do to a ganav. This is what you do to somebody that's ma'ane um, somebody. This is what you do to somebody that is uh, that's murdered somebody. This is what you do to somebody that uh, that swears falsely. There's a, there's rules for everything, but they're cold, calculated, steel, metal rules. They have no compassion and no ruchnius. There's no mizbeach. There's no sensitivity. The rabbi Yisham says this is what my mishpat is. Melech Ayev, Staka or Mishpat. Staka and Mishpat. Staka is Mishpat. Mishpat has to be blended with tzedek, with tzedakah, with charity, with pity, with compassion, with sensitivity. That's what Mishpat is by the Torah's definition of Mishpat. A guy will not understand what Mishpat Torah is because for them this is ridiculous. Dalit, hey, <laughs> what? The Torah doesn't see it that way. The Torah sees it as being very, very proper. It's tzedek. We believe in justice, but we believe in charity. Charity and justice are really the same words. Tzedek, tzedek, tirdaif. Tzedek is, 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 is justice, and tzedek is tzedek, it's charity. Which one is it? It's the opposite. No, no, it's the same. 
Charity is justice. Justice is charity. That's how we see Mishpat, but it all comes from the Mizbeach. The sensitivity of the Mizbeach to inanimate objects bleeds into our daily sensitivity with other human beings. It has to. If we want to be a Yid properly, we have to learn the sensitivity that the Torah expects us to have, even to the most seemingly unforgivable members of our society. tell you a beautiful story. There was a, uh, a chassan in Eretz Yisrael, and he was speaking by Yeshev Rav. He was a chassan of a guy who went to a very good yeshiva, and he was a, known to be a big masman, a big lamdan, a big tamachachim, a big mensch. And he got up at his Shevabrachas and he was thanking people after he said a beautiful, brilliant pshat, and uh, you know, everybody was very impressed. At the end, he said, you know what? I want to give hakaras hataiv to all the people in my life that set me on this path. And they were all, all the people around the room were glowing and, you know, expecting the, the, the standard list of parents and in-laws and the kala and the this and the that, the grandparents. And he said that. But then he said, I want to, and I have to, thank one individual for saving my entire life. He says, this is my story. One day when I was a little kid in Yeshiva Katana, there was a, uh, one of our friends who had just, he had a birthday, and his parents bought him this very hush of a watch. Not stam, like a real spitzy watch. And he was showing it off to everybody, and his parents didn't want him to bring that to Yeshiva because they were afraid it was going to get stolen and lost. It was a very expensive watch. But this boy couldn't resist. You know, little children, they like to have show and tell, and they like to show off what they have, and this boy was no exception. So this boy brought into yeshiva this watch, and everybody was looking at it, and ooing and aahing, the Rebbe, and the Talmidim, and the friends, and the, the principal, everybody, he was showing it to everybody. So it was no secret that he had this new watch. And then this boy went out to recess, and he left the, the watch on his desk. And unfortunately, when recess was over and he came back into the room, the watch was gone. Somebody stole the watch. They didn't know who it was. But they assumed that it was one of the boys in, in class. Because the Rebbe was standing out in the hallway and there was no, you know, there was no, he saw there was no, no janitors came into the classroom, no guy were in the classroom. And, and so the, it was safe to assume that it was a boy in the class that stole it. And the boy came up to Rebbe and he said, Rabbi, somebody stole my watch. I can't go home. My parents will literally shaft me alive if I come home without that watch. And Rabbi has to do whatever he can to find, to find it, to find who stole it. So what the Rabbi did was he lined up all the boys against one of the walls of the classroom. After saying whoever, first he gave them hasra, he says, somebody stole the watch in the classroom, don't know who it is, now is the time. If you want to tell who it is, you come to me, you know, and let me know. And no one, no one obviously came forward. He says, listen, I, ha- I can't let Chaim go home without his watch. Somebody here took his watch. Everybody line up against the wall. I'm going to frisk everybody. I'm going to pick, I'm going to, I'm going to frisk everybody's pockets. And the Rebbe went to the first boy, felt his pockets. Second boy felt his pockets. The third boy 
felt his pocket, and he felt that he had the watch in the pocket. The Rebbe took the watch out of the pocket, quickly put it into his own pocket, and he went to the fourth boy and felt his pocket, and the fifth boy and felt his pocket, and he went to every single boy in the shear, felt all their pockets, and then at the end of this whole process, says, everybody go to your seats, I have the watch. The boy who stole the watch, number three, the third boy on, the, on that line, was petrified as he was being felt. But the Rebbe didn't say a word. The Rebbe didn't say a word. He didn't embarrass him, grab him. He didn't let anybody ever know who it was that stole the watch. He gave the watch back to Chaim. Chaim went home, and that was the end of the story. This chassan, who became a tremendous Talmud Chacham, he was that boy, he was boy number three that stole the watch. He said, had Rebbe embarrassed me, Barabim, I would have gone off the derach, I never would have come back. But because of that Rebbe, who was so sensitive to me, who was, I was a ganav. But that Rebbe was so sensitive to me, because of that, I owe him my life. That's Parshish Mishpatim in a nutshell. That story. You take a Ganav, and instead of crucifying him, Barabim, you treat him like a tzaddik. You give him the ability to rehabilitate himself. You make him understand that he's redeemable, that we're all redeemable. We've all done things with our life that we're not proud of. Do we want the Rabbi Hashem to throw us away because we make certain mistakes in our life? Chas v'shalom. We have to have that same sensitivity for other people. There are a lot of people out there that we know have done wrong. We know that they had a bad checkered past. They've done things either publicly that are known or privately that we know, and we look at them different. The Torah says be sensitive to those people. Be sensitive to the underdog. Be sensitive to the people that you think there's good reason. Maybe you have every reason in the world to to be cruel and inhumane to them, but follow HaKadosh Baruch Hu's lead and you'll be doing the right thing. Treat mishpat with tzedek. Find tzedakah and mishpat together. Blend the two together. When you deal with anybody, whether you like him or you don't like him, whether you think he's a tzedek or a rasha, you treat him with sensitivity. You don't exclude people. You don't ignore people. You don't demean people and you don't embarrass people. You treat everybody like a mensch. That's the smichas haparshas, I believe, between the parsha mizbeach and beil mishpat mishpat That's the aside of the parshas. That's mishpat. Mishpatim is not just cold, hard facts, law, jurisprudence, Talmudic logic, baba kama, baba metzia, baba basra. That's not what it is. It's gentle. It's musardik. It's machshavadik, it's tyradik, it's sensitivity. That's what the chukim of the tyra are. That's what all, the, all of them are. If you look in the Sefer HaChinuch, go mitzvah after mitzvah of the Sefer HaChinuch, you'll find a musr daher in every mitzvah of the tyra, whether it's the most understandably musardik mitzvah, kibbut aveim, the mitzvah sichlius, or the mitzvahs that we don't even understand what they're talking about. The, the chinuch always finds like a beauty in every mitzvah. 
always finds a musr da'er to take from every mitzvah. Because that's what the Torah is. The Torah is musr. The Torah is beauty. The Torah is sensitivity. It's machshava. It's, it's, it's elegant. It's compassionate. It's sweet. It's It's teaching you how to be a mensch. It's how to be a human being. Whether it's, it's a law that's obvious in that department, whether it's Shiloh Hakein or it's Kibrava Aim or it's uh, or it's Neseva uh, Tokom, the obvious laws about being sensitive to others and being nice to other people, or it's the mitzvahs that we don't understand at all. Shatnis, Sharshnagar Chasapara, Dalavehe, Kefel, these are laws that we don't trust me. That every single law, whether you understand it or you don't, there's compassion. There's HaKadosh Baruch Hu saying, I care. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu cares, then we have to follow suit, we have to care as well. That's Hashem, we should take the Mishpatei Hashem, and we should understand them, and we should deal with them, and we should deal with others with the ultimate tzedakah, with the ultimate compassion and mercy. Open up your heart to people, and you'll never be wrong. Trust in people. Even people that you feel are untrustable, trust in them a little bit. An honey comes to your door, open up your heart, open up your wallet, open up your, 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 your sensitivity to them. Never be one of those guys in shul. Sometimes I go to a local shul, and there's a, char- there's a sign in the shul outside the door, no collecting during services. So there's other signs outside the shul, no talking during davening, no cell phones on in davening, no, uh, you know, uh, whatever, you know, make good on your pledges, your Yom Kippur pledge, that no one listens to. There's one sign that everybody becomes like, they're shrank chai v'kayim about this one sign. Every ani, there's a guy come, nebuch, a guy, what, what, what's, you want to do this job? You want to be the one that's, that, that's going around collecting like this? He came during, uh, you know, he came during a leno, it's a few minutes before the end of davening. Get out of here, don't you read the sign? What are you doing to the guy? You don't want to give money. You're cheap. Don't give money. Yeah, you, you're going to be the one that screams at the honey that he has to be mavuza. He's not mavuza enough. You think that's what the Torah wants? All I want from you is that when you're in your graduating and you're now fast forward five years, ten years, thirty, I don't want you to be that old man in shul that's screaming at the honey. If you come out of Lander College for Men with that agreement with me, then you're okay. Then I'll let you graduate. Then I'm proud of you. Don't be that balabas or that rub or that whatever who's screaming at Aniam and think that that's normal. That's not a normal thing. Give them money, open up your home to them, offer them a drink. Ask them if you could maybe drive them somewhere, take them around, do something, but don't scream at them. They don't need that. They don't need that. They're going through enough in their personal life. They don't need that. There was an ani that came this week to my house. And then I spoke about it. He was a person that I have extreme sensitivity to. Because it's something that's so scary in his story. He was a man who in Eretz Yisrael was one of the biggest gevirim in Eretz Yisrael, and I believe him because he showed me pictures and I, I trust him. He looks like he, looks like he was once a, a, a gevir. And he talks like a gevir. He talks like he, had, he was chashab at one point in his life. He had the largest chain of jewelry stores in Eretz Yisrael, but not, not cheap stores, 
like the Spitz stores in Eretzel, like near the plaza, in the plaza, around Tel Aviv. The, he, he was selling rings that were, he told me, 800, 900,000 shekel for a ring. He was big. He was very, very big. He was giving money to Tzedakah. He gave, he gave her Steinmeier checks for hundreds of thousands of shkolem. And without getting into all the details, but he basically, the galgal was chayzer on him. The wheel turned and he basically, he lost everything. Got divorced. His wife left him. He, 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 now he's, he's schnarring money. He's going from door to door asking for, for $100 here, $150 there, $1,000 here. A man like that is such a, it's, it's so sad. A person, he's not talking about a person that Nebuch never knew from money and now he's, you know, he's weiter poor, he's born poor, he's used to it. He's a person that was, he's, he was living like Baruma Shalaylam and he had a, he crashed and burned and now he has nothing. You're going to throw a guy like that out of the house? You're going to say, get out of here? He's a chash of a person. They're all chash of a people. Whether he was a millionaire at one point or whether he never had money, but the point is that these are human beings. Don't dehumanize them. Don't villainize them. It might make it easier for you to ignore giving them, but don't make them into subhumans. They're not subhuman. They're you and me. Esa ani imach. Me and the ani are the same person. I just happen to have currently better mazel than the ani does, but we're the same people. If you look at an ani like a subhuman sitting on the street begging, like a beggar, then you will never give and you will never open your heart. Not to him, not to your wife, not to your children, because you're callous and you're cruel. But if you listen to the Mishpatei Atayra and you say, no, 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 I saw Ani Imach, I'm the Ani, me and him, we're brothers. And you're nice to him and you're kind to him and you let him into your house, you give him a check, but more than the check, you give him a, 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 a hug which I did, I gave him a hug, I gave him a check, I gave him a cup of water, and I gave him a hug. I'm sure there are people that gave bigger checks than I did, but I gave him a hug, and nobody else does that. And I'm not saying that I'm, that I'm a big tzaddik. I'm really not. And I'm not saying even that I open the door every time. Sometimes I don't. But when you open the door, make sure that you're nice to the people. Make sure that you're kind. Make sure that you're... And if you see somebody in shul that's dejected and lonely and depressed and he's going nebuchadnezzar and you have to be the... and you see somebody screaming at him, you stand up for him. Because that person is you. There's a beautiful story with Reb Chaim Sanzer. i got to leave soon. Reb Chaim Sanzer was a hunchback. The great Debre Chaim. And he was read to a girl, very hush of a girl, and she went on a date with him, whatever, a sit-in, and she saw that he was a hunchback. And so she told the shadow, I don't want to marry a hunchback. And I don't want to go out with him again. And they told this to the Zerichayim, and the Zerichayim was, was obviously felt very bad, and he says to the shadow, he says, fine, but I want to just speak with her five more minutes. It was a little unusual, but she agreed, the girl. And he said, let's go to the mirror. They went together to the mirror, 
and she saw, it was like a magical mirror, she saw that she was hunched over, she was hunched back, and he was like nice, tall, good-looking, erect. She says, what is that? He says, you were supposed to be the hunchback, and I was supposed to be normal. I davened that you should be normal, and I should be the hunchback. Don't reject me for something that was really yours. And they got married, and they had a beautiful mishpacha. The whole Sanzer dynasty is from this. That's how you look at an ani. You look at an ani as a hunchback. Know that you are the hunchback. He's saving you. As a ani imach. The way you treat him is the way you're treating yourself. The money that you're giving him is not your money. You're giving his money to him. That's what the Archaim HaKadr says. When you give tzedakah to an ani, you're not taking from your checkbook and nebuch, you know, it's so hard, I'm sharing it. You're not sharing nothing. That's his money. You're giving him what he has. It's his. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you this chus to be the, the shliach to give it to him, but it's his. You're giving him his money, his pikadon. It was mufkud by you. You should be the hunchback. Maybe you should be the one that's on the outside of the door instead of the inside. So if you're on the inside of the door and you're opening the door, make sure to treat that person like a man. If you get this, you say, that I'm telling you right now, the entire experience in Lander College was worth it. All the money of tuition and all of the college courses and all the, everything was kedai. If you walk out of here like a mensch, if you have sensitivity to the underdog in society, then everything has been worth it. But if you're going to be that guy in shul, chas v'shalom, screaming at the ani, then God help you. Because then you haven't learned a word here. You might know a ktsais, you might learn a sivas, you might know a rashba and a ritva, but you don't know nothing. Unless you understand this yisai to be a yid, means to have a heart that has mishpat with tzedek infused in it. Never be a cold-blooded intellectual. If you're going to be intellectual, that's great, but it's only worth a hill of beans if you are able to inject that intellect with, with, with a brain, with a, with a heart, with emotions, with feeling. That's when it's worthwhile to be a Talmud Chacham. A Talmud Chacham that's a cold fish is nothing. A Talmud Chacham that's warm and a tzaddik and, a, and, and a, a person that's caring, that has a heart that really aches for somebody else and pains and grieves, that's the type of person that I want you to be. That's the type of person that the Rabbi Nishlam wants you to be. And that's the type of person that you should want to be. And Mitzvah Hashem, you already are, and if you're not, then you will be. Mitzvah Hashem, have a wonderful Shabbos. Uh, Even for widows, like the door of play and 